Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first lesson today comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27. Please listen for the word of the Lord. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this, is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all that, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophet has spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing in the story that we began last week. Um, Laz read the first part. I'm continuing on the, the story of the walk to Emmaus, Luke 24. We're picking up with 28 through 35. That is 28 through 35. As they came near the village to which they were going, he, Jesus, walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what has happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So think back to your high school days. I think it was high school. Anybody remember reading the Odyssey? Homer's Odyssey? Anybody? Anybody was supposed to read it that didn't? I remember bits and pieces of it. Uh, we know that Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, two masterworks, 7-8 BC, somewhere in that time frame. Both he wrote in 24 books. And the main idea of the Odyssey is that Odysseus, who was the hero of the Trojan War, that took 10 years. And now he's victorious and on the way home. And on the way home, the gods of Mount Olympus, Zeus and Athena and Poseidon and all the rest of them decide to give Odysseus some trials to see if he's as good as he appears to be. And so it takes another 10 years for him to get home to Ithaca, his kingdom, his home that he once ruled. Now Penelope is his wife and she doesn't know that he's alive. No one knows that he's alive because Calypso had imprisoned him for some amount of time. Again, nobody knew if he were alive or dead. Finally, through a series of events and happenings, he gets free and he comes home. He doesn't come in and say, I'm back. He dresses as a peasant, as a stranger, hooded, cloaked. They can't really tell who he is. And the first person to greet him is the housekeeper, the servant. Euryclea. Thank you. Euryclea. So the first thing, just as in biblical times, that a servant would do when welcoming a stranger is what? Wash the feet. So she's washing his feet and she starts telling him all of the tales about her master who had left to go fight the war in Troy. No one's heard of him or heard from him. They don't know if he's alive or dead. And she says, well, he, he would probably be about your age. And now that I think about it, he probably would have your build. And while she's washing and on the side, and which of us hasn't this happened to, Odysseus, when he was a child, was gored by a wild boar. Anybody? Who hasn't that happened to you, right? Am I right, people? Okay. So he has this deep scar on the back of his leg. And this housekeeper servant was more than a housekeeper servant. She helped raise Odysseus. And so as she's washing her, his feet, she feels the scar. Her eyes are open and she realizes it's her master. And the end of the story winds up well as everybody else um, he enters into a, a contest again as the stranger, but the servant knows. In the washing of the feet, she knew her master. Today, it is in the breaking of the bread that we know our 
master. So today is the same scripture as it was last week. Last week, we focused on the first part of it. And if you remember, it's still Easter. We still have our butterfly banners up. Third Sunday, we're still on Easter, but the sun's about to go down. We're getting through. So remember, Cleopas and the unnamed disciple last week, I invited you to put yourself in the place of that unnamed disciple, not part of the 12, either one of them. But those who follow Christ, we know that. The women had gone Easter morning to the tomb. It was empty. They didn't see Jesus yet, but they saw the two angels there who said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's been raised. Whoop. And so they run back and tell everybody else. The rest of the disciples claim it to be an idle tale. But Peter runs down, sees it's empty, and that passage ends with, and he went away amazed, is what scripture said. But nobody's seen Jesus yet. The women saw the angels, but they just knew Jesus was gone. So now we move, and if you remember in the conversation, these two disciples, Cleopas and the other disciple, they are destroyed, they are grieving, they are broken. Why? Again, everything that they knew about Jesus and believed had been destroyed. The Messiah couldn't be crucified and dead. Everything that they had hoped in Jesus had not happened. Everything that they had believed in, gone. So they are grieving, they are upset. They're finally leaving seven miles toward Emmaus. And in the midst of Emmaus, of that walk, comes Jesus. They don't know what we do as the readers. Now, imagine yourself having just lost a close friend in your life today, in this contemporary time. You go to Publix or Target or wherever you go, get your shopping basket, and you see another friend who also knew that friend, and they, all three of y'all were close, and so you meet, you're in the aisle, you hug one another, and you start talking about this friend, how special this amazing person was to you. What a tragedy that this person was gone. They had so much to share, so much life. And then somebody picking up a jar of mayonnaise says, hey, what are y'all talking about? How do you think most of us would respond to that? S excuse me, we're, we're really having an important conversation. Take your mayonnaise and be gone. Or no, you know, thank you, we're, we're, we're really, we need to talk. Please just leave us alone. But they, they welcome Jesus in, again, not knowing it's Jesus. But that's the intensity of the conversation they're having. A friend of theirs had just died. They don't know why. They're still reeling from what had just happened. Jesus comes to them, says again, what are y'all talking about? Are you kidding me, Cleopas says? Are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? And then goes through and talks about it. And then Jesus responds, as we talked last week, let me tell you about this scripture and interprets that for them, goes all the way back to the prophets, to Moses, and tells them that indeed the Messiah does need to suffer and goes through it. And if you remember, the first thing I wanted you to think about last week was number one, to talk and discuss Christ's scripture and faith. That's what they were doing on the road when Jesus met them. If they hadn't have been talking if they had been so overwhelmed, there was no communication, would Jesus have joined them? I don't know. But Jesus joined them in the midst of their conversation. 
So I encourage you to think, where do you talk about Christ? Where do you study the Bible? And then number two, interpretation. Jesus interpreted the scriptures to them. If Jesus interprets, so too do we need to, but responsibly. We can't come with an agenda to scripture and just make it fit and say, yep, that's what God says. That's God's word. We need to do so responsibly, be as educated, use as many resources and bring that to the table so we can be as faithful in our interpretation as we can. And the third one, where, do we, where is Christ around us that we don't recognize? That was last week. So today we're picking it up, we're moving forward. As they get close to Emmaus, seven miles down the road, it's starting, the sun is starting to set and these two disciples kind of veer off and Jesus kind of walking along. Are they going to ask me? Are they going to ask me? Are they going to ask me? And they say, hey, stranger, it's getting dark. We don't know if this is their home or they're just staying overnight here because the sun is setting. Either way, they welcome Christ. They say, hey, stranger, come sit with us. It's getting late. It's dangerous out there. It's dark. We're getting ready to have some food. Why don't you come join us at our table? And then we go right away to the table where Jesus blesses the bread, breaks it, gives it to them, and bam! Their eyes were opened and they recognized Christ. Just like Eurycleia does with Odysseus seeing his scar, she realizes it's him. These disciples see Christ. And then, to confound them more, what happens? Gone, gone, disappears. And they take just a second to debrief that. Why did we not know when he was walking with us? Were our hearts not burning while he talked with us on the road, while he was opening scriptures to us? How many times do we feel that in our journey, that our hearts are burning with the presence of Christ? Maybe it's in worship, maybe it's serving others, maybe on a mission trip, maybe in a Bible study, maybe at a fellowship event, maybe out on the street when you have a conversation with faith about somebody. Our hearts should burn from time to time. And our passion should always be on fire for Christ. So, Jesus is gone. Of course, why didn't we recognize? So they hoof it back, it's now nighttime. And I'm guessing they run all the seven miles all the way back to Jerusalem. They come into the room with the, the 11 and the rest. And they say, he was there. We just saw him. It's true. He's been raised. We saw him in the breaking of the bread. And then the very next passage, Jesus appears to them right there and says, peace be with you. Wah! And again, the only time... You can scream out, Jesus, and have it be okay as if Jesus is standing there. Jesus! What are you, what? How? And they may very well have said, could you have taken us, we just ran seven miles, you just poofed your way? No. So two things I want us to think about really quickly. One, welcoming the stranger. If those two had not have welcomed Christ, 
He would not have stayed for dinner. He would not have taken the bread. He would not have broken it. He would not have appeared to them in the breaking of the bread, period. So let's take that first one. Where do we or do we welcome the stranger as individuals, as families, as institutions, this church, as a body of Christ, as human beings? Let's, let's start big. If you remember back on 9-11, the terror of that day offset by a community in Canada. Do you remember Newfoundland? It is Northeast Canadian city. Labrador is right there. Newfoundland, 10,000 people in this city. But it is the point between Europe and the United States that if there are crises, medical problems, they land right there because it's kind of equidistant in that space. So 9-11 happens. Remember, this is pre-smartphone. I think we were texting, but not everybody knew exactly what was going on. Some 38 planes were diverted to this village of 10,000 people. These people had been on the plane for like 31 hours by the time they got there and sat some more on the tarmac while people were trying to get the city ready. Every venue, every school, Every place that could accommodate people was made ready to host these passengers from over 100 countries, over 100 countries. They did everything they could to feed these people. They took them moose hunting, berry picking. They tried to provide entertainment for them. They did everything they could for five days. Everything else in that city shut down. And they didn't have access to their checked bags. They didn't have their medications. The pharmacies were working overtime and had to call in help from other countries to help fulfill their prescriptions. It was a mess. But these people put themselves out there to accommodate these 6,700 who were trapped on these 38 flights. And the people interviewed said, well, we, this is just what you do. This is just how you take care of people. We don't look at color, race, gender, sexual orientation. We don't, we're all people, and when people need help, we need to help them. That is welcoming the stranger. And they did it so well that they made a Tony-winning Broadway musical out of it. Anybody seen that one or know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, well I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You have to go find it now and, and check it out. Um, the Come From Away. I think is what it's called. Come from away. Because that's what they called the people who came because they came from away. Ways. An example of how a community can rally. Look at the countries bordering the Ukraine right now. Millions and millions of refugees flowing out of there for their very lives. Poland. Other countries are doing everything that they can. We are seeking to help them. And that's a part of our welcoming the stranger is working with partners who are in those places because we can't be. But we help them financially with our prayers and that is absolutely needed, helpful, and a part of our call. Now where it gets a little more interesting is when it's more person to person, face to face, how do we welcome the stranger in our day to day? And stranger is not a negative term or it shouldn't be. It's just 
people we don't know or don't know yet. It's like the term ignorance. Just We're all ignorant about something. Nobody knows everything. Ignorant is not a negative term. It just means you don't know about something. Being a stranger isn't a negative term. It just means we don't know them yet. And as a church, again, we support local groups in town, whether it's Mercy Med, whether it's Safe House, whether it's the food pantry and others that do that work. So then what does that leave us? It leaves us a day-to-day encounter with people that we encounter. I'll give you two quick little ones. Last week I was washing my car. Radio was on because that's what you do. Engine was off. As I'm trying to get the Cheeto dust out from underneath my seat, I, I do the electric seat and move it back so I can get underneath it. And something happens and the car goes dead, power-wise. Can't turn it back on, I'm stuck. I have jumper cables in my trunk, but I'm in a great place. I'm surrounded by people and people with cars. So, excuse me, sir, can I? Would you mind jumping, jumping my car? I, I'm dead. Oh, yeah, no problem. Let, let me help you out. Didn't hesitate, help me. Right there, got it back on, all is well. That's a little thing. Another one, December 17th, my older daughter's coming home from Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina for a Christmas break. It's dark, raining, nasty. Just north of Atlanta, she thinks she hits something in her car. She's stuck on an overpass. It's about 10.45 when I get the call, PM. So I go into, into Papa Bear mode. I am warp speeding myself to her. Say, call AAA. Call the, call the patrol station. Patrol says, no, we don't do that. Call AAA. So we call AAA. They were on the way, but that takes time. So she's sitting there stuck on the side of the road. So I'm cruising. As soon as I get there, again, raining, dark, nasty. I get out. I go to the car. Are you okay? I says, yeah, can you take these two plants? I'm worried that when the tow truck comes, it's going to tip. And then these plants I've been growing are going to spill out all over my car. Are you kidding me? So instead of, of comforting my daughter, I'm walking in the rain with two plants to my car to make sure they're safe first. So what had happened was that she couldn't see, but a trailer hitch, full trailer hitch, had become detached from a car, again, that she didn't see, or come out off of somebody's truck bed and bounced off the road into her right front headlight and then into the engine compartment and lodged itself there. The car was undrivable, and she was stuck. She was on an overpass. She couldn't walk anywhere. We could see businesses, but we were 50 feet above them. And so there, there we were, together now, stuck. And then our tow truck guy comes and brings us hope. He knows the area. He was nice and kind to us. He took care of the car. He said, go two exits. You don't want to go one exit. That's not where you want to be. Go two exits. I'll meet you there, and then we'll get together. We did. We got together, figured out where to go, how to do it. And so I'm thankful for him. He welcomed us and the stranger. And think about it. Tow truck people, unless they're, they're taking illegally parked cars, almost everybody they meet has had some kind of mechanical failure and is in some kind of distress. So bless all of you tow truck people. Be nice to people. You do a great job. Thank you. Last week after church, I get home and Vicki 
My wife says, I saw Kitty Bell on the side of the road standing with a family. And she stopped and asked Kitty, were, were you okay? And she said, yeah, I was a witness to an accident, right? And she wasn't going to leave until the cops got there, until the police got there. Well, again, we're in a time where that takes a little bit of time. She could very easily have seen that accident and gone, oh, I don't want to get all mixed up in this. Got to go home. Got stuff to do. People coming over, nap to take, game to watch, something to do. But no, she decided she needed to be there to make sure that the truth was told and that those people were okay, welcoming the stranger. Now, if we do this every day and make a discipline at it, this is one of the ways that they will know we are Christians by our love, by our welcoming of the stranger. And again, the stranger isn't someone that we fear, although we tell ourselves we do. It's simply, we need to reframe that in terms of someone that we haven't met yet. Because guess what? We're gonna be places when we are the stranger and we're gonna hope that someone is brave enough to welcome us. Welcoming the stranger is at the core of who we are as Christians and we need to practice doing so. Safely, but doing so. And then secondly, as we come to the table to see Christ reveal Christ's self in the breaking of the bread reinforces that last supper, reinforces what we do, this meal that has been passed down for thousands of years to which Christ is present again. And it's because they welcomed the stranger that they were able to see the presence of Christ in the breaking of the bread. So it is that Christ now welcomes you to this table that you may feel his presence, that you may be inspired, that you may be transformed, that you may inherit this resurrection joy and grace that we celebrate and celebrated two weeks ago, but we celebrate every day as Christians. We are a resurrection people. This table has been set by Christ and all who are here are welcome to this table. Christ beckons you to come to let you know that Christ has been walking with you just like those disciples every step of the way. Open yourself to this symbolic meal.